Hey folks, Eric here. Before we get this episode started, I just wanted to let you know of a couple ways you can help the show out. Follow us on Twitter at TrekAboutShow, like us on Facebook by searching for TrekAbout on Facebook, and the best way to help the show out would be to review us on iTunes. Now let's get this show started. So Q's back. Yes, I knew that that would happen. Eventually, yeah. We, you kind of got the impression that he was going to be back at some point. It's kind of like, oh my god, it's like an orbit. Whoa. In the episode where they fix the orbit. Oh my god, the de- orbit is decaying. And Q loses his Q powers, and then the orbit is fixed, and Q gets his or- Q powers back, and every year he's going to have another episode and swing back. Oh my god, this works on so many levels. You figured out Deja Q. Yes. Can we talk about the episode title, first of all? It has, there's a, so much, they missed the opportunity to call it, oh, the Q-manity or something like that. Uh, that would have been awful. I'm glad they didn't do that. But, you know, oh, you're right, Deja Q is so much, it's not they, a pun. They don't, they think they're puns, but they never are puns. And it's, I was, I was looking at the Q episode titles today on Memory Alpha because this is the kind of thing that I do because I don't have children. And only one of them, possibly two, someone on Twitter seemed to think that that one of them uh, was also a pun. But I don't think it's a pun because seriously, and I'm not going to spoil it for you because I don't want you to get spoiled. But uh, yeah, the Q episode titles are just uh, singularly awful and yeah. they, they don't work and I don't know why they think they're puns and they have nothing to do with the episode at all. Why is this called Deja Q? What does this have to do with Deja Vu? It has nothing to do with Deja Vu at no, all. No, it's like they just had like a 12-year-old come up with like, okay, words that rhyme with the letter Q, you know, and phrases and things. And But then again, you have stuff like hide and Q, which doesn't even, you know remind you sound like that they just kind of put the word q in everything q rhymes with seek it does i speak english well good so what did you think of this episode i didn't love it that's unfortunate because this is probably uh if not the best q episode uh my favorite q episode uh both of which are damning with faint praise because i do not like q all that much which i know is a revolutionary and you know scary concept for trekkies but q has never been one of my favorite things about the franchise you know i think i might be with you and i just you just don't like q it doesn't work for you i i i i I, yeah it's 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 an example of the next generation doing comedy and doing comedy okay and i think it's not written in a funny fashion i don't think that there are a lot of jokes in this episode that work but john delancey is game to do it i mean i i don't begrudge him his paycheck from this episode let me put it that way the man worked hard and he deserves a fair you know amount of compensation for what he did on this episode true yeah i mean he did the first uh scene naked he wa- I was into that. He was naked. He's yeah. Why not? Uh, he was naked, so that was good. Um, apparently, he had a lot of trouble uh, miming the trumpet at the end. Which okay. Um, I, I just you know it, it's weird because after it, it, it's it's part of I think the third season in a lot of ways is the show taking some of these concepts that it's put down in the first and second seasons and kind of drawing them out to their logical conclusions in a way, because Q wasn't necessarily comic relief in the first or second season. If you think about encountered Farpoint as first appearance, then you think about hiding Q as second appearance where he uh, wanted to make Riker a part of the Q continuum. Then you think about Q who, where he appeared and thrust them, what 7,000 light years away and they met the Borg. Uh, not funny, but suddenly everyone finds Q very 
they're they're all very bemused at him, and and Q doesn't seem threatening in any way. Part of that, of course, is that he doesn't have well, the powers. That's where all. That's why Q has never been completely funny because. He can technically back up all of the shit he says. Like, you know, he does say he's omnipotent, and we do see him as and all-powerful, and we see him as this arrogant thing, but he is omnipotent and all-powerful, you know? He he has, you know, we, we want to laugh at somebody who has an inflated opinion of himself, but in this sense, he is a threat. He does have these really weird priorities, and he does have, you know, he can do whatever he wants, and it is the fact that, you know, as we see in this episode, the fact that Q kind of likes the Enterprise is apparently one of the reasons that he hasn't been as much of an asshole as he could have been, I think. And in this episode, we see him still as arrogant and still thinking in the same way, but with none of his power. So he does become a comic figure in a way. Yeah, I want to know what he did to the Calamarines, for example, like because apparently he says that he really, really, really tortured them, which... You know, all right. I mean, it, 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 it. there's kind of a weird, I think the episode is a little tonally off because you're never really sure if you're supposed to find this funny or not. And to, to the degree that the Federation and, and, and Starfleet, uh, you know, sort of makes people and makes officers that uh, will be nice to someone who was kind of dick, a dick to them and, and yeah. did horrible things to them. Uh, I suppose that that's okay. And I mean, the worst that happens to... Q in this episode is that Crusher is a little rough with him when she's curing his back spasms. Yeah. Guinan also stabs him with a fork, but, you know, Guinan's not a member of Starfleet, so we'll let that slide. And also, I think that's probably the best scene in the episode. Oh, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't really understand what the point of any of this was. And that's, I think, why I didn't like it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of just there. Uh, and it's one of those Q episodes, like, again, it's my favorite Q episode, and I like it. Uh, but I don't know if I like it because I've seen it a lot, and maybe it's just one of those things that I have fond memories of enjoying. That could be. Or if it's actually good. And, yeah, it's just kind of this limp episode that, you know, I'm watching it and I'm saying, it doesn't really have much of a plot. It's it's all very dependent on whether or not you care about Q. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I do. I mean, I think this episode was intended to be knocking him down a peg so that we can see him vulnerable and in a way to get a bit of pity for him. Because, you know, now we, you know, there is a degree to which to do pity the guy in this episode. He does, is a fish out of water very much. I mean, the when he's talking to be Picard and he's saying, you know, I could die. I've never, ever dealt with that before. Like, that is a sincere moment. You know, Q has some very sincere moments where he does realize what he has lost and what kind of he's done in, you know, in a way. And if we don't necessarily see a gentler, wiser Q in the future, at least he has had this moment where he has at least gotten a bit of his, his comeuppance, you know, spoiler alert. We don't. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And I, I, I think one of the, one of the issues I have, you know, with this episode is that I, they could have teased that out a little more, I think, Yeah. you know, Yes, he's very vulnerable, and yes, he's never had to deal with this before, and he's very scared, and he doesn't want to die. And, you know, the whole thing about the Cal- the, the Calamarine is obviously important because that is the sort of genesis of him leaving the ship yeah. uh, to sacrifice himself so that he gets his powers back from the other Q. Um, you know, I, I just don't know if this was the best way to construct this episode because it seems like none of the parts really mesh that well. Yeah. You know, you've got the Calamarine stuff, you've got the moon I was saying you have this entire MacGuffin of the episode, which, 
you know, I think is a fine MacGuffin in and itself, but yeah, it just does kind of get lost. Like it, 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 there was enough going on with this thing, you know, harassing the Enterprise. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that could have been the plot and then they could have dealt with more of the, I don't know, seeing more of the characters' reactions to Q or giving, you know, I really find myself interested in the whole, well, what, what, you know, what is Guinan and Q? They have this history. They've, We've really only seen pieces of it. We've seen it, you know, we've seen them together twice, and one is the Borg episode where, you know, Guinan reveals she knows a lot more about the Borg and about Q, but she doesn't really go into it. Yeah. You know, here she has this great gloaty moment, and, you know, because she, you know, and and that's about it. Like, we we don't know exactly what, they have some long history, and I don't know if it matters or if they do explain it, or I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, it's not. I, I think you know at this point that that the next generation isn't really that kind of show. No, and so. they're not. They're not setting something up necessarily. I think they're just kind of giving you bits and pieces of something as they kind of figure it yeah. out themselves. I mean, the, the the implication either way is that Guinan is a very long lived you know right. entity, and she has traveled everywhere. And yeah, you know, she would have come across Q at some point, and they are, you know, opposite enough that, you know, and, and that's as far as we've gotten, and maybe that's as far as we need to go. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things about the moon that I think works well is that it does allow Q to demonstrate exactly why his arrogance and his sense of superiority is misplaced and perhaps even a little bit sad, because... He is very knowledgeable about the workings of the universe, and he is very good at things. And he very immediately comes up with the reason for why this has happened. He makes that thing about, oh, this is obviously a celestial body, probably a black hole, you know, moving through the solar system. Like, he's really annoyed at, you know, Jordy and, you know, for not realizing this, you know. Right, this is, obviously, this is something that, like, you know... He glances at, yeah. Theoretical astrophysicists 300 years in the future would probably know, but the Federation still doesn't know at this point. And, you know, then, you know, gives Jordy the, the, the idea to how, how to kind of try and fix this problem, which kind of works and kind of doesn't. Um, but still, it just seems very flat and it seems very well, weird to me because nobody seems to want to engage with Q. They're all just kind of annoyed that he's there and they don't want to deal with him. And it's like, if, if you are supposed to be explorers and you're supposed to want to, uh, be humanitarians and and sort of like go out there and find new life. Well, well here it is. I mean, you know. Yeah. So 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 I I kind of you know. But he's very untrustworthy. I mean, like, and then they. I mean, for most of the episode, a lot of the people don't necessarily believe that he's really lost his Q powers. They think he's trying to trick them. And given I, his past behavior, I, I guess don't... so. But my problem with that is that the 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 world of the world that's constructed in the next generation is a world of people that take everything at face value. And so to me, it's kind of like they should just take him at face value because it doesn't make any sense that they wouldn't. And I mean, you know, Troy kid does have the, I can sense if people are lying type thing going on. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, I, I think they, you know, they do look and they do scan him as fully human. So, I mean, there is enough evidence in, you know the the only evidence that they have that he's lying is his past behavior, which yes, per, you know, is a very strong case against him. 
but everything but else he's is. Never, but he's never lied to them, though. And that's that's, true. that's the thing. I mean, like, certainly he has been arrogant. And cert- I mean, he put them on trial when they first met him. Yeah. And, you know, the hiding cue stuff was, was you know, put, kind of putting them through the paces of, of, of not torture. But, you know, definitely that was not fun for anybody. And, of course, in Q, who, they, he put the ship in mortal danger. But I don't think he's ever really lied to any of them. And so. No, and in, in a way, you know, in. in... You know, and especially in the Borg episode, he that's him throwing them into the pool to make them swim in a yeah. way. Like it's 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 a definite asshole move and you know, maybe they should have been you know, a a more kindly entity would have, you know, given them a given them a PowerPoint beforehand. But that is Q's way of saying, Look, you think you're if you're ready to deal with the cosmos, you know, the first time we met each other, you know, you proved that you were ready to go into the galaxy. Well, here's what you're going to find. Like, here is the this is what you have to prepare for. If you know, like that 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 was his point in that one, right? And so to me, it's almost like, well, why don't you believe Q? Because Q's always been. I mean, he's not been nice to them, but I think he's been upfront with them. Yeah, and I think in I mean, his first two appearances were him kind of test. You know, I think it's interesting because he does test humanity to make sure they're ready, and then you know. Hide and Q is kind of testing this particular crew as well. They're not right. in Hide and Q. Riker is not representing the human race. He is representing literally Riker and proving himself to be responsible and trustworthy in the end. You know, this crew does, you know, that time when, when data says, you know, I think it's interesting because in Hide and Q at one point, uh, you know, at the very end, Q offers to make data a human, doesn't he? I think he does. And yeah. data says, no, you know, that's not the right way. And then in this, I thought it was an interesting callback in this episode. You know, Q says, oh, I'm going to give you something. And Data's like, no, don't make me human. You know, he, he – I think it's interesting that that recurred, you know, and – Well, I, I – I, that, that is interesting because I think I – you know – I want to talk about that because, you know, Data is one of your favorite characters. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, that's one of the parts of the episode that I think works the strongest is kind of this pairing of, of Q and Data. And yeah. Data has a very interesting attitude towards Q in this episode. He's very sort of detached and almost uh, scientifically observing him in a way. Yeah. And he kind of almost comes across as sad a little bit. Um, at the same time, I think this is one of the first times, if perhaps not the first time, that that the episode in the show uh, explicitly states that Data doesn't have emotions. Like, he flat out says, I don't feel anything. I have no emotions. I don't know what they're like. What do you what do you think about that? I mean, we've had this conversation before, and I don't know that we necessarily need to have it again right now. Yeah. But this is the show, in a way, throwing down the gauntlet and, and, and telling you that you're wrong. So I don't know, because, again, this has to, we have to go into what exactly is an emotion. Maybe, you know, I still don't think, you know, I, I, I would agree that Data doesn't have the physical sense of an emotion. If Data is, you know, sees something funny, he doesn't get that pleasure out of laughing. If something bad is happening, he doesn't get that, you know, the the, the, the stab of panic. He doesn't get sad, but at the same time... You know, he does have a sense of loss towards Yar. He does have, you know, people that he cares about. And, you know, those, again, maybe he not, maybe it's in his actions more than a feeling that he has, but he does still have tendencies towards emotions, maybe. Or he does still have the effects of emotions. I, I think, I, I think the data story and data not having feelings, data ha- not having emotions is less to say that. Data does not have emotions, but more that emotions are a little more complex than, or at least that's how I'm reading it with my understanding. 
I wonder though about that because you know I I, I it's it you know if you take it on the on the very literal level if you take yeah. it on the level of how they wrote it um, of course he doesn't have emotions uh, but I think if you look at the subtext and you look at you know what what exactly data thinks emotions are yeah. for example um how does he know he doesn't have emotions because people tell him he doesn't have them and you know yeah. he has no experience with them so he doesn't have them you know like he's been told over and over again that he doesn't have them so in a way it's almost this sort of like you know you believe what people tell you yeah, you don't yeah, believe yeah. what your own senses are telling you uh and i also think that you know he says that he has curiosity and yeah curiosity isn't an emotion but there are parts of emotions within curiosity. And yeah. so, or maybe, I mean, you could also may not, hell, let's talk about, you know, if data doesn't have human emotions, maybe he has Android emotions and that's something very different. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. data, ha- again, data has qualities which are indicative of stuff that goes beyond simple programming and rationality. Again, his sense of, caring for his fellow crew members and caring for certain ones more than others and things like that, which we see him doing time and time again. Um, we see him, you know, keeping mementos of dead crew members, which is something that somebody who had no emotions wouldn't need. You know, he doesn't need that little holodeck of Tasha Yar because he has a perfect Android memory. Why does he keep it? Because it does have some sort of sentimentality to him. Um, yeah. And, Again, it may not be the same thing that a person would feel, a human would feel, but at the same time, he is going through, he does go through something. And I think part of the, I like the way that he, I like them pairing off because it reminds me of the, you're a good teacher at stuff that you've had struggles with, you know, thing. Right. Everyone, all the other crew members have found being human very easily because it's something they've done every day of their lives, you know. Worf obviously is a Klingon, but he's been a Klingon every day of his life, you know. And uh, and Worf, of course, Q, has his own yeah. issues with with his Klingonness. And, yeah, and Q would have just as much trouble fitting in if he became Klingon. You know, he's no more a Klingon than he is a natural human. Right. So I think Data is a good teacher for Q because he struggled in 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 the hard way. You know, at one point he says, you know, he says to Q something like, you know, there's human behavior is a lot more complex than you may have seen. You know during your couple of times here. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that you've missed, you know, stuff that real, you know, that people don't think about. Right. And I think, you know, for example, if you look at that scene in 10 forward uh, with, with data and Q and, and Guinan of course comes in and stabs Q again, which is probably one of the reasons I like the episode. Cause I think that's a fantastic scene is that, Data is explaining what he's seen of humans and maybe what, you know, I kind of get the sense that Data's done a lot of reading about psychology and oh, you yeah. know, he, he knows everything about psychology and he knows everything about, you know, human uh, uh, evolution and knows everything about humans, right? And I will say that I think a lot of his knowledge in general comes from books and maybe that is part of why he doesn't think he has emotions because he does view everything very analytically. Right. And and that's something that the show grapples with later as well. Um, not not to go into specifics, but but it isn't something that the show drops. Okay. So I think it's interesting that, you know, he's talking to Q and sort of explaining exactly what people do when they're hungry. Uh and and kind of, you know, it's it's funny because data isn't data isn't necessarily teaching him, but he's letting him know that it's okay to be feeling what he's feeling in a way like it's okay to be hungry you know it's okay not to know what you want to eat 
Q's very, you know, I mean, think about that. Think about being hungry and not knowing what any food is. I mean, you know, well, it's I mean, like, that, yeah, that, I mean, I, I, I think it's fun. You know, that comes right after the interaction with, you know, Crusher. It was just like looking at him like, you know, he's a total piece of shit. And, you know, he's which you can understand. And. And it was like, my stomach feels so neat. Well, you should eat something. You know, like which, she's treating. Which, that, I, 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 no, I liked that because I I, I, I. I liked that scene, but I also had problems with it I, because Crusher never really had a whole lot to do with Q. So. That's fair. I mean, she wasn't there last year when they had the confrontation with the Borg and she wasn't on the ship in Encounter at Farpoint. So I, I don't know. It just did. I don't know. I, I, there are times when I. With 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 Pulaski and Crusher, I think you have to. I think they have to kind of be treated as the same character in some degrees, and I think this is one of those cases. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it. You know, the Enterprise had three confrontations with Q. You know, Crusher may have had only one, but you have to pretend that she had all three or she knew about all three. I guess it's. It, it almost re- it almost reminds me of Khan knowing Chekhov in you know Wrath of Khan. Well, that's just a bad yeah. plot hole. I mean, that's yeah, just... exactly. But it's one of those. But the scene you just have to go with. All right, he knows he he knows him for a reason, and that's that, you fair. know that's fair. you know it doesn't really matter that Crusher know he doesn't really know Q that well. But yeah, I suppose that's fair. Yeah. And then I guess at the end of the day, too, you know, if you look at sort of what, what exactly Q is going through, you know, so he's he's. I mean, think about it, like okay, yeah, he fell asleep. He doesn't know what that is. That probably yeah. would be terrifying. You know, imagine if he has to go to the bathroom, like. I'm sure he did at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the idea of Data being there and telling him, you know, chocolate sundaes, and then he says, I'm go- okay, I'm going to have 10. It's like, well, anybody would tell you that you're not going to want to eat 10 chocolate sundaes. Like, nobody would ever want to do that. Yeah. But Data doesn't know. He just kind of goes, oh, all right. I'm yeah, here. like, and they have, like, this moment where, like, he was like, well, I'm really depressed. And, you know, he's almost, you know, like, to him, you know, the logic is, well, you know, if one sundae's good, like, I, I was a formerly omnipotent being, so I need 10 times that amount. And, you know, da- data can work with that logic. You know, he does, you know, I, I mean, he also talked about, I, I think it's funny because he talks about this, how he eats the silicon goo or whatever like that. And he's like, it's good for me, you know? And yeah, maybe to data's mind, like, well, if I do eat 10 of those, I am going to be in optimal condition. Like, right. I, I think that's just, I, I think it's, it is a, it is a moment of the blind teaching the, leading the blind in a kind of a way. Yeah, I suppose that's true. But at the same time, you know, Data does know what it's like to be that kind of an outsider. And I think it is sweet that they bond in that way. Yeah, yeah. What What do you think about sort of the, 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 the other Q stuff? Because you've got the uh-huh. end of the episode where Q decides to leave the ship because the Calamarine are attacking it and... It's considered a selfless act, and the other Q's like, oh, you're gonna figure this out. You know, and it's like, all right, well, the Q continuum has always been sort of this thing that's there, but they don't ever really. And then it was kind of funny. Like, I thought the two, like, knew they were bullshitting each other. Like, because, you know, the other Q was just like, well, this was a selfless act. And Q was like, yes, it was a self. Like, I think they're kind of like. I got the sense they're like friends who like they're frenemies. Basically, I just I got the impression that the other Q was just kind of sick of watching him and was just like whatever, just go. yeah. Like uh, the, again, they're they're he's you've learned your lesson, so that's it. Like I think he 
they're again, they're, they're not exactly good friends. They kind of maybe they're rival. I figure everybody in the Kibu continuum is going to be a bunch of rivals. I mean, doesn't he? I think he says that at one point. Like, it's really he, he says, you know, I'm ter- I'm terrible at working in groups when everybody's omnipotent. Like, it's it's tough. Well, it's yeah. kind of even the conception of what exactly the continuum is, what what yeah. these beings actually are. I mean, are they all... the same being in different aspects? Right. Like that like... that's almost. You know, the fact that the other Q is named Q, you right. know, it almost implies that there's, you know, different parts of the same whole. It's all very nebulous is is, is kind of the thing. Um, I don't know to what degree it's not figured out and what degree it's just they're going with whatever's funniest. And I think I think if they had – see, here's the thing because, again, Star Trek is not really great at comedy. If they had been better at comedy and had just gone – been able to do Q ridiculously and broadly, and again, it does, you know, there is no continuity, it's just whatever's funniest, he is a cartoon, that could work to a degree, because yes, this is an omnipotent being, he doesn't have to be even bound by rules of continuity, the Q continuum can be all things and everything, and really whatever's gonna, but at the same time, it's serious enough that, you know, there is a feeling that there are rules, but they just haven't figured them out yet, and that's it's more. It comes to more poor. It's either poor comedy or poor storytelling. Well, I think it's. I think it's more poor storytelling because yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it, the episode obviously wants to say something about humanity and wants to say something about what it means to be human, and I think it succeeds in that. You yeah, know? And, I mean, and, the, it, it says that being human is hard, and it succeeds at humanizing Q in a way, and it succeeds yeah. at kind of softening the relationship or softening the attitude that that crew has towards him, and, and perhaps you know, Q has towards the crew as well. I mean, you kind I, of get the get sense this, that yeah. they're not ever going to be friends. And the next time that Q pops up, they're not going to exactly be happy to see him. But I think there's an understanding there of where he's coming from a little bit. Yeah. I think like in the, again, in the first couple episodes, he's definitely an antagonist, almost a villain. Right. Um, This is kind of the next step and he's not, yeah. they're, they're kind of transitioning him into more of a, I, I figure he's going to be more of a Loki, a Nancy kind of type, you know, he's, yeah. he's a trickster God. And this is, you know, rather than a trickster villain God, they kind of want to make, make him a more of a comic relief trickster, which. Yeah. And I mean, at the very, uh, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the episode, he's trying to do something to make them all happy. He wants to celebrate. Yeah. He's trying, you know, and, and I love that moment. We has the mariachi band and just, Picard hangs his head, and I'm like, if the episode ends here, I'll be really happy. And it didn't, but I think that would have been really fun. Like, just credits. There there are certain <laughs> things that work in the episode. Yeah. I think oh, that and it's... last scene is certainly one of them. Uh, you know, you've got sort of Riker's masking of desire with the two women, and you've got Picard just with this quiet air of, of why is this happening. You know, then the women go to Worf, and Worf is totally into it, and you can tell. Yeah. You know, it's just... I- and I love that moment of he he gives he gives data laughter for a minute, and that's I don't know that that's that's interesting and that's nice, and I like that, and it's a very sad moment almost it's very sad, and I also think it's sad that Jordy had to cock block data laugh block him. Because, like, if I got the impression that Data would have continued to laugh for a few minutes if Jordy wasn't like, what the fuck? Why are you laughing? Yeah. What's wrong? What's so funny, Data? 
Like, that just seemed like a dick move to me. Well, well, Jordy is stupid, okay? Everybody else was just kind of like, oh, okay, we know what's going on, so let's just have Data enjoy this for a minute. And Jordy's like, what's happening? Why is, I don't, I don't like, why are you laughing? I'm missing something here. I'm 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 missing the joke. Why was there a mariachi band? Like, did Jordy just get off the turbo lift or something? Like, was he Hey, guys, what's going on? That just annoyed me. I was pooping. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um... And I like that moment at the end where, like, the cigar appears. He's like, oh, don't count on it. You know, that was cute. Like, there again, that 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 was well done. There are there are moments, you know, Picard and, and Q play off well with each other. But, I mean, I think to a degree that's not enough for Q episodes anymore. You know, that that's kind of not a special effect that works anymore. It needs to be hung on something stronger. Just seeing, you know, Picard and Q riff isn't... Enough. They might as well have Joe Piscopo for all I notice. I'll give this one six chocolate Sundays. I want seven chocolate Sundays because I love chocolate. Okay. Let's move on to a matter of perspective. Which is too hot for TV. Two episodes in a row which open with a naked person. This had a naked person in it? The, the model at the beginning. I don't remember that. Oh, my God. Yeah. When they're all in the painting class. Oh, yeah. Right. Her. Right. Yeah. Where, where, they, where they stated the, the thesis of the episode <laughs> as the show has become wont to do. Well, <laughs> I didn't remember this one very well, and I had no expectations going into it, and I liked it. It's Rashomon. I mean, if you've seen Rashomon, the, is it, this is actually the exact plot of Rashomon. I don't know what that is. You've never seen heard, seen Rashomon Kurosawa? I what 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 are you saying to me? Okay, so there is a These movie. are words and I don't understand them. There is Okay, I'm going to lecture you on classic film. Oh great. So there I'm is sure a, this will be great for everybody to listen to. There is a film called Rashomon with Akira Kurosawa which is about uh-huh. um this a samurai has been murdered sure. and they have three, Samurais get murdered a lot. The three you know so they are interviewing his wife, a uh-huh. bandit who uh had had an altercation Ooh, with them, and I the, love that class in Dark Souls and the spirit of the samurai himself. And each of them tells the story That's of scary spirit. What happened? And they each have three contradictory stories. In each oh, one, man. each is the killer. What? Yeah. So it's resolving the stories anyway. Well, it's not quite Rashomon because Riker wasn't the killer, and the wife wasn't the killer. No, it was the dude. Thank you for spoiling this. Well, you know, you should watch the episode before you listen. You should shut up. Yeah, it's funny because I think this episode kind of works and kind yeah. of doesn't. Um, it's it's <laughs> if you if you lock into it, which I did, I really liked it, and I kind of no, was I like, like, all right, what are the differences between these stories? You know, the three different stories. Uh, yeah, the stuff uh, you know I thought was interesting. This part that was the same in each. You know, each there are certain repeated lines in each you know, statement that, or like certain lines that are said slightly differently and the different attitudes that they have yeah. in the different versions of the stories, you know, the different sort of body language, the different intonations that go into it. Uh, there's a certain degree to which you just kind of have to go with it because of course, you know, I have, I have a problem with this just because, you know, all of these studies have come out that basically say that eyewitness accounts yeah. like should not be admissible in court because they are completely unreliable. Well, there's a term for that called the Rashomon effect. I, I really am shocked you've never seen this. I don't know what you're... I don't, what, what is Rashomon? <laughs> um, 
But, you know, and then, of course, Picard even says that, you know, sort of halfway through the episode where they're going to have the assistant of the guy tell everybody what he said to her. And Picard's like, what are you doing? That's not allowed. That's hearsay. And they're like, well, it's admissible. You know, it's one of those great things about having a science fiction show you can kind of create your story and have the legal system of whatever society this is happening yeah. in fit exactly what they're doing. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, then we can have hearsay because it's allowed in our legal system and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, your legal system is shit. How about that? Yeah. I mean, but for that part, we had to assume that the assistant was not lying. And, and within her, it, it, her description was factually, you know, as as were all of the, you know, character stories were factually accurate in their way. Hers was she didn't put any major. So, I mean, we, we the contradictions were not in her making up a story. Do you know, you what, know I mean? what I thought was really interesting, though, is that, uh, you know, part of the problem with the episode, I think there's a, you know, overall it works. I think part of the structural problem with it is that I think it should have started a little bit earlier than it does. You know, because we don't get a good sense of what who these people are. And I think, you know, not not to say that we should have actually have seen what happened, because if we had actually seen what happened, the episode would not have worked at all. But I think they should have maybe set it up a little better it because it been, kind of oh, starts in mid or in media race. And it's kind of like, eh, I don't know if that works that well. Yeah, uh, but the, I mean, the, the, only, the major the, the major reason they couldn't do that is because they do start the differences you know the witnesses the witness accounts all start from the very beginning of the meeting and they are different from the very I first think, moment and I so think there it was... could have been I, I honestly think it could have been fixed just by having Picard's captain log explain exactly what they were doing and yeah. they didn't have that so we're en route to pick up you know Riker who has been yeah yeah like that that probably would have been enough that um, said you know it wasn't like it was hard to follow once the episode got it it's, no, it no. started in it was it was weirdly structured for a trek episode it was fine structured for you know what i mean like well uh, i like it because the show is obviously getting more comfortable yeah. with itself i think you know so far in the third season you know we're sort of getting to the midpoint of the third season and i think the show is definitely becoming a lot more comfortable oh, yeah. with itself and i think that you would agree that the show is is good now i mean it's certainly uh i don't think is is a show that has the sort of structural problems or the sort of tonal problems that the show in the first two seasons had so they can do something like this and do it well but one of the things that I think is is weird about the episode is that we never get a clear sense of what exactly was going on between Riker and the guy's wife. I was for about to say that's the problem. You know, we we don't. Yeah, is it something where they were just both of them being you know completely misinterpreting the other and right? You know, maybe she was just being very. You know, maybe she was being a little friendlier than she expected, and he kind of read that as being you know, be, being sed- seductive towards him. Maybe, you know, he saw, you know, maybe she might have seen him as, you know, a little too, cu- you know, readily to easily able to, you know, like maybe he acquiesced to staying in the guest room a little too quickly, or maybe he said something that she thought was him implying that, you know, and she got the wrong idea. I mean, from what we know about Riker, he is not the kind of person who would assault somebody. Right, and that's part of the problem with the episode is that, you know, we know that Riker wouldn't have killed this guy and we know that Riker wouldn't have uh, tried to rape this woman. So it's a little, 
you know, we don't believe exactly what she's telling us, which I think is a problem. I think it should have yeah. been, it, it, you know, her version of it is so cartoonish that I think there's no way that it could be believable. And I think that there's a degree to which it should have been a little more underplayed yeah. uh, because, you know, you know, and you can kind of say, okay, well, that's the whole point of the episode, right? Is that different people have different yeah, ideas yeah, yeah. and different interpretations of events. And even, you know, eyewitness accounts differ all the time. And that's kind of the point of the episode. She's a grieving widow. She's feeling very, very, uh, you know, wistful and longing, protective of her husband, her now dead husband. You know, Riker, of course, is going to have a much more buttoned down interpretation of the events. Um, but you can kind of see where this would come from because we've seen Riker in these situations before. And what we see from Riker is he's a playful guy. He definitely gives people an eye, you know, but he does that to everybody. It's not like he, yeah. not like he's doing it just to this woman. And so I think you can kind of see how the events would play out if this had just been a straight episode yeah. of the show, which I think is, is to the show's credit. I think. Yeah. I mean, again, and, I have to go back to Rashomon again because that is, you know, the bandit and... To what? Because in in Rashomon, there is an interaction between the bandit and this guy's wife. And yes, in each of the stories, you know, in the bandit's version, he is... He's more of a seductive rogue in this. In her version, uh, she... She she actually portrays herself as having seduced the bandit because she... The the explanation in the episode is that she... in, In the movie is that she had perhaps flirted with him a bit or perhaps had some feelings of dislike towards her husband, which in the wake of his death have magnified in her mind as, you know, oh God, I was being horrible to it. I mean, this could be, you know, either way, this is a symptom of the wife's guilt. You know what I mean? Or. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, certainly. I think that that, 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 that could certainly be. Maybe she, you know, maybe in this episode, she is dealing with the fact that, you know, the husband keeps saying, you know, I'll, I'm doing this all to get you anything you want and all of that, you know, that kind of thing. And maybe, yeah, she could to a degree feel that. And frankly, I think the implication is there as well that she knew what he was doing. Yeah. In in terms of, you know, trying to make this into a weapon. Yeah. Um, I think at the very end of the episode, they don't come out and say that explicitly. But I, I, I do think that you could certainly interpret that as, as being part of the episode. So in that know. in that sense, she could just be trying to protect her dead husband as well and protect his honor and protect his memory yeah. and his name. You know, because, of course, if you're working with the Federation in, in, in terms of trying to get a new energy source together and then you're actually secretly working to um, use the Federation's resources to keep getting more and more yeah, stuff yeah, so yeah. you can make it into a weapon and sell it to the Romulans. Yeah, that doesn't make you look great. No. <laughs> so I think there's a I think there's a degree to which she might be overplaying. I don't think that she's lying necessarily. No, and I think that you know, but I I th- that's one of the things about the episode is that I don't think there's any way that you could charitably say that differences in a differences in the way that you interpret certain events from two people's perspective could have such a strong difference right because in Riker's version it's very she's very much the aggressor yeah and in her version he is very much the aggressor yeah and in the husband's version you know it's it's a mutual thing and they might even be plotting against like genuinely what well which which makes sense I think because of course in the husband's yeah. version he's walking into the room and, and most he doesn't likely, know what was going on in that room before the door was closed so again most likely what it even was might have been a genuine innocent flirtation between the two of them. She is just kind of 
alone in this place, so she flirts with the handsome, you know, ship's captain, and then her guilt, you know, believes that he seduced her. He might have just been, all right, I'm going to have a bit of fun. I'm stuck here with it, it but I'm, you know, going to be polite to the charming lady with, you know, meaning nothing. But then in his, you know, panic and having dealt with that to him, he remembers it as, well, she was really flirting with me this entire time, you know? I mean, they're all going to think of themselves as innocent in this case. Yeah, and I think the the other... And, you know, yeah, it was probably just they literally were in the room fixing the controls and having this really awkward conversation, and then the kid, the, the husband came in and assumed the worst. I mean, that that's it's just three people assuming the worst of each other, really. Right, right. Which I think is interesting also in light of the very beginning of the episode because, you know, again, it's sort of like the, the, the Henry V thing from a few episodes ago where it's sort of like stating the actual thing about the episode in something else, which is something the show really starts to like doing a lot. Uh, you, you know, so you have, you have Picard painting this mm. nude model with a couple of other people. And, you know, what you have is, the, is, is data... Uh, very charitably and very nicely giving wonderful interpretations of, of, of the three paintings or the two paintings. And then he gets to Picard and he very much is like, this is crap <laughs> in data's very nice way. And Picard obviously is not thrilled at that. And so I think what's interesting about that, of course, is yeah, it sets up the whole like, oh, well, three people can do three different, yeah. three different things and they see the three different things. And, you know, oh, we're doing cubism and we're doing this and we're doing that. Um, but I think it's a little further than that because Picard's painting is trying to combine mm. the three things that Picard that uh, data says whatever he says making up things you know the, the rule of three you know yeah the battle of Yorktown the battle of uh, Gettysburg and the battle of Zorkdon five uh, and it doesn't work and I think yeah. in the same way you've got three stories about the murder that don't jive together yeah okay I, I this I feel like this episode is not as deep as one it's would think. it's not. I mean, it was it was a good episode, but it wasn't a. It, you know, it's it's there's not a you know yeah I don't yeah. think there's really a lot to talk about. I think it's just because uh, it is kind of about its mechanics more than anything. Yeah, it's it's about the mechanics, and you sort of have to pick at the mechanics of it, and, and sort of you know how is this not all tied together? I think it's tied together fairly well. Yeah. You know, everything kind of comes together. They they've constructed the mystery very well. It oh is, yeah, it's... it is it is like you said. I mean, now now I want to go um, see you know Rathead or whatever you keep <laughs> saying. Uh, you know, but also the fact of the matter is this is, you know, also a locked room mystery. This, yeah. You know, like, I think if you look at it in terms of this isn't really a science fiction episode in any way. It's just a mystery episode. I think if they had yeah. you know, sort of, you know, put this into the ring for, I don't know, the mystery of the week or something, it, it, it may have won it. It's yeah. pretty classic stuff. I mean, they, they do a literalization of, you know, we've got in a holodeck recreation of everything, but... You know, there's plenty of movies where someone tells a story, and even if they're lying, it you know it flashes back to the a depiction of the events. I mean, it, that this is just a literal version of this. Yeah, the sci-fi tropes are how they you know how they display it on screen and how the murder was actually occurred. But beyond that, it's yeah, it is about how these three stories do or do not add up. I do have one problem with it though, is that, you know, the episode is so well constructed. The mystery is so well constructed and makes sense. And you sort of, it looks like one thing and then it looks like the other thing. Yeah. But the explanation for what happens, you know, because they say that uh, the, the prosecutor is saying that, Riker shot a phaser at the generator yeah. as he was beaming up, which caused the station to explode because there was this energy discharge from where Riker was standing. Yeah. 
and what Jordy and Wesley, who was suddenly back uh, from wherever he was, I don't know. Camp. I suppose he may be just jerking off a lot because he's 16 uh, with Jordy. Um, that In those pants. Uh, uh, what is with those pants? Why don't they button up at the back? It bothers me. <laughs> who, who thought this was a good idea? It's just like they're just like they always look like the back is unbuttoned. And I'm just like, what is this? Well, listen, you know, if you want to be a costume designer for Star Trek and rectify these wrongs, you're shit out of luck. Yes, I know. That what exactly happened is that there's a second generator on the planet and they use it somehow with the first generator on the thing. And that causes the mirror to do this thing. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, basically it's a series. It's nothing is generated on the planet, but it takes this you know, general pulse from the planet and magnifies it in a particular way to create these evil rays. Right. And so when they created, recreated this for the holodeck, they didn't recreate anything that was actually going to injure anybody, but they, because the holodeck can't create anything dangerous. There you go. Uh, Even though we've had people get, well, you know, anyway, we'll leave that aside. Uh, yeah, they cre- They basically set up these particular mirrors in the holodeck, right? And they're at the same spot where it would have been. So essentially, the the beam from the planet hits these particular mirrors and does the same exact thing it did, right? Except and, it, it, yeah. And that's why this radiation is going over the Enterprise. All right, great. That's all fine. It works great, except for one thing. That part of the simulation was not constantly running. So are we supposed to believe that every five hours, two minutes and whatever, it just happened to be running because they were switching back and forth quite a bit. And yeah, no, I assume that they left the setups still set up. Yeah, but why? Well, because like that was actual matter that they used, right? So like, I guess they built it and they put it in the holodeck and they had the rest of the holodeck around it. And look. Eric, if this is the moment that's going to make us start to figure out the contradictions in the holodeck, we are very far behind because the holodeck has been whatever the hell it wants to be for the past. No, but but I mean, I like, know, they're, like I get, I get the what holodeck, you're saying. Like, like, there's a scene that happens in front of the thing, and then it goes away, and they're in you know the quarters or whatever. Yeah, when they're in their quarters, when they're taking a break, when they're in recess, is this machine still set up? The implication, I guess, is that yes, it was. But you know. where it's it disappears. I mean, it's not there. It's on the holodeck. So the yeah, holodeck... but I mean, like, I guess no. What I'm saying is, they left the holodeck, but they left the holodeck on. So they were giving their testimony. They were doing their grand jury thing. Yeah, and when they leave, they just left the thing running, like in stasis. Yeah, that's what we're. All right. It's the only thing that, like I said, that that. I as for why they would not want to save the power, yes, I I can't answer that question, but that's the only the only logical explanation is that it well, was still there, which means that the only logical mess, you know, yeah. They wanted to see about the Krieger waves if they were going to actually work or not. So maybe that's why they left the holodeck running. But they didn't know about the Krieger waves until the very end. Look, I don't know. I'm just trying to rescue this plot hole. It's not really a plot hole. I mean, they 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 just look. I would consider it a plot hole. I don't know. I it's mean, a hole in the plot. How is it a hole in the plot? How is it like the weirdest thing ever that they would leave this up? Also, I thought it was very strange that they suddenly decided to have everybody wear matching shoes and clothes. 
I wouldn't have noticed that. Like at all. Troy was dressed like her action figure again. Aww. Then everybody else was also like, "What? What is with their guy? I don't know. It's just weird that like the, the the guy who makes the costumes just wants everybody to have shoes and, and pants that are the same color." Well, he's obviously bad at his job. Obviously. I really did like the one scene where you have the inspector talking to Picard and the inspector like stands up and then Picard slouches and just says like, all right, here's how it's going to go. We're doing this on the holiday. You know, like I, I thought that was a really nice moment because, you know, the inspector is trying to loudly assert his power and like Picard is even just like all right. taking an even more submissive position as he just takes control of the entire situation because he doesn't. He doesn't need to lord over his power, and Picard really doesn't do that unless it's absolutely necessary, and because he has the power. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I liked that. Yeah, that that was a nice choice, and I liked this episode. I did too. Enough to give it oh five Krieger waves. I would give it also five Krieger waves. I think. All right. Well, next week we are going out of the middle of the season into the end of the season. Oh, good. Well, beginning of the end of the season. <laughs> With Yesterday's Enterprise and The Offspring. I love The Offspring.